This is the new TC Pride Podcast, episode 103. A special extended one-on-one conversation with TC Pride Board Chair, Darcy Bowman. TC Pride Podcast, we are on location in beautiful St. Louis Park at the uh, West End Shopping District, which is this beautiful part of St. Louis Park. Uh, and I'm here with... Darcy Bauman, board chair from Twin Cities Pride. Darcy, great to see you. Thanks for making time today. Uh, so I mentioned we're in St. Louis Park at the West End. We're not going to mention exactly where we are because uh, this is a beautiful restaurant. They're not like sponsors of Twin Cities Pride or anything, although uh, we, we might try to make that happen afterwards, right? Yeah, we'll get a good talking to you. We'll say maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so so here we are. And um, you know, there were a few things we wanted to talk about. But before we get into like the heavy stuff, um, I just kind of wanted to, to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself uh, to the community for people who might not be familiar with you. I started with Twin Cities Pride in 2008, so this will be my 10th year with Twin Cities Pride. Congratulations. Thank you. I started as a volunteer. Um, after my first couple Prides, I looked and I'm like, I want to be a part of that. I want to help make that happen. So that's what I did. Um, and I was a volunteer doing several different things. Um, I helped with VIP. I did social media management and just kind of whatever we needed. It was a very sm- small kind of working volunteer staff and I believe I started the board in 2013 and which is another reason that, that we encourage people to get involved with volunteering with, with the festival and the organization in any way they can let me ask you when, when you started off uh, as a volunteer did you have any idea that like you'd be sitting here now as like the board chair of Twin Cities Pride when I no no when I started off as a volunteer and I saw what we were doing there was no way I ever even thought of being on the board, let alone being chair of the board. Um, it was actually Twin Cities Pride that got me interested in nonprofit leadership, and that's actually my minor. I graduated with a minor in nonprofit leadership. Like I said, which is why we encourage people to contribute their gifts and contribute their time because, I mean, they might, we might be looking at like the next leader of Twin Cities Pride in a few years uh, out there volunteering in, in some smaller uh, capacity. Um, so we always encourage people to to give it a try and maybe maybe look at hooked like you were. <laughs> I would have never known this would have been my passion. And so when you became uh, chair of Twin Cities Pride, you you represented uh, a couple of firsts. Uh, yes, I did. I was the first female to be chair of Twin Cities Pride, and I was also the first person of color. And that's significant for for a few specific reasons. It really is. Um, there is this thought out there that. Um, Twin Cities Pride is a bunch of old gay white males that are running everything and making all the decisions and stuff. And so, for once, it was actually someone not. It's it's still out there. The perception is still out there, and and I know and you know that that's not the case. But wh- why do you think that that perception has been out there so long and that, that it remains out there to this day? That perception is out there because that is the way it was. It really was that way for a very long time. That's how everything got started. Um, it was, if it wouldn't have been for those guys that started everything, we wouldn't be where we are today. Um, it takes, it takes that start. And so over the years, uh, the board has been a working board, which means that the, pe- the people on the board also ran Pride. So these guys were running Pride, they were getting the entertainment together, they were getting the festival together, and they were doing everything at the same, you know, doing it all. Uh, and because of the way that things were at one time, there are some pretty specific perceptions uh, within the LGBTQ community that, that we wanted to really address today and try to clear up. Oh, definitely. When I started on the board, um, I believe there was one other female, and I was the only person of color, uh, and that has 
completely changed. Um, now we have 11 people on the board. I believe we have five Caucasian people and four people of color on the board. We have one immigrant on the board as well. Um, and every the age ranges, the age ranges are from early 20s to mid 60s. So we're covering Gen X, we're covering millennials and baby boomers, um, which really gives a very different perspective. When I first started on the board, everyone was pretty close to the same age, you know, maybe a little older. And But now we have just this great perspective from all over. And, and of course, people want to check out the Facebook page to, to kind of get a little indication uh, of, of the diversity on the board. Um, there, there, is a, there is a video there that, that, that you all just did. Um, where you all are talking about what Prime means. It's, it's a great video, so, so you encourage people to check that out to, uh, to get sort of a, a more accurate representation of, of what the diversity on the board is like now. Oh, definitely. Um, that video was so much fun to make. And when we went and did it, we weren't there together. We didn't know what the other person was going to say, so it was actually very interesting to see what each person on the board had to say. And you got to see what their perspective of and what they wanted to bring and why they were there. Um, so y you kind of get that idea then when we're in meetings and we're making decisions um, where their mind is and what they're thinking. And, and so today we're really kind of talking about sort of misconceptions and sort of representations that aren't entirely accurate. And you know what's interesting to me is that you know when I think you know when people think about the LGBTQ community and the people who tend to show up to protest. Uh, I think the characterization, uh, whether accurate or not, is that it tends to be faith organizations uh, or family values uh, organizations or things like that. And, and while those people do certainly show up uh, at Twin Cities Pride uh, events uh, from time to time, uh, we really wanted to talk directly to a different group of people uh, with some pretty different concerns uh, that have been expressing them in Twin Cities Pride uh, recently. And, and before we talk specifically to those people, let's, let's talk about how this all kind of got started. Well, we have to look back to the tragedy of Pulse, unfortunately, um, which happened two years ago, and it was approximately 11 days before Twin Cities Pride, which was a, a horrible tragedy and led us to look at everything and thought, what are we going to do? What is the impact going to be? And, what, and as a, um, a board, we look at the everything as a whole, we look at everybody's safety. How can we keep everybody at our events safe? And by doing that, we spoke with the local police and, and decided that we would have a heavier uniform coverage, you know, at our parade and at our festival just to make people feel safe. People were calling and emailing, should I come? Should I not come? Is it going to be safe? Um, so we did have a we, we had very much increased uh, uniform police, which we thought everyone would feel safe with. We found out after Pride that that was not the case. And well, I mean, I think that, I mean, literally the, the world changed. The world uh, did change. I mean, overnight. And, and there were some really tough decisions that had to be made. And we've talked to Dot, the executive director, and, and other people uh, with the organization. And I think, I think there's been um, an acknowledgement that maybe not all the best decisions were made. But within the time that there was to make those decisions, um, really at the end of the day, I think a lot of people feel like Twin Cities Pride really had the best intentions uh, in, in making decisions that they made. And it wasn't necessarily to exclude anyone or to make anyone feel uh, threatened or... 
um, not valued uh, in any way. Correct. And that in, in the midst of trying to get ready for the festival itself, which is very hectic at that moment, it's like almost that planning all had to stop and figure out how are we going to do this safely. And yes, everything was done quickly. And it wasn't meant, you know, in harm of anyone. Um, but we did learn from this. Um, after, after Pride, you know, we, um, there were members of the community that let us know that they did not feel safe. They actually felt less safe. They um, felt less respected by having all of the uniforms there. Um, and this is a marginalized community that, that needs to be heard. And we listened. And after that, we, we promised that we would hold a couple of community conversations, uh, which we did, and those were facilitated. And we learned, we had some really good learnings out of those. Um, we all have our own lives, and as a person who has dealt with discrimination and marginalization, um, sometimes it's difficult to bring that into an organizational type thing. And, and one thing about a nonprofit is that it's different. We are a business, but especially our nonprofit, this is our business. And we have to have that at the forefront of what we do. I mean, in fact, I mean, the legal definition of a nonprofit, it's a nonprofit corporation, essentially, right? Correct. Correct. It's a specific kind of, of corporation, but, but it is uh, a corporation at the end of the day with specific responsibilities. Yep, and it's our responsibility to listen to the community, listen to our stakeholders, to educate ourselves on what the concerns of our community is and why, um, and to see what we can do to improve their experience and to make them feel safe and to make them feel welcome and to, we don't want them to feel like they're outside the fold. Um, and to try to meet everybody's needs um, can be a challenge. Um, we've had a huge board changeover um, that is way more diverse than what it was and a lot of the board was also new. So as we're trying to learn all of this, we're also trying to bring that diversity into and change the way we do things. That, that was kind of an, an unfortunate, unintended consequence of trying to increase the diversity of the board <laughs> is that you ended up having more people that weren't as experienced as some of the people that hadn't been before it. Uh, correct, correct. Um, that was an unfortunate, but actually it, in some ways it helps because it brings a a different view of things that we didn't have before and people that have different um, hobbies and are in different cultures and can bring that in and say and listen in another way. We talk about intersections of identity a lot right and there are a ton of new intersections of identity on the board now that weren't there before and that's that's to everybody's benefit. That is to everybody's benefit and I think one of the biggest challenges was We've always run it a certain way, and Twin Cities Pride has basically a set volunteer staff. We only have two paid staff, but we have a kind of a set volunteer staff, and we've always run it the same way. It's been kind of just a habit. You run it the same way, but then you come in with a new board and different people and looking at different needs and different ways of running it has been has been a challenge. It's a great challenge, but it's it's one that we're definitely working on. And as a result of those community conversations, there were a few specific things that, that were that were implemented. Uh, yeah, one of the things we heard at the community conversations, uh, especially from trans people and trans people of color, is that they were being, um, their pronouns were incorrect. And 
we just try to think what can we do to to make it better for for everyone. So we actually have pronoun stickers at the beginning of at every entrance of the parade when you come in. And then we also made a little education for our vendors to respect those pronouns um, for everyone. Another thing that, another improvement that we made was there was an individual there to speak on behalf of um, people with disabilities, especially the autism community. And so now in the middle of Loring Park, we have a place called Escape Space. and. Uh, one woman said she hadn't been to Pride in over seven years. And all she could think of was, I just need to get to that tent. I just need to get to that tent. And um, it's run by autism experts. Had many things to do that people need to do to come and then to be able to go and enjoy the festival again. Yeah, we, we stopped by uh, the TC Pride podcast, stopped by. I, I learned me some stuff. There, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff to know. And um, I mean, really, I mean, for, for people that don't experience the festival in that way, uh, for, for other people, I mean, it, it can be a little overwhelming. Yeah, it definitely can. I mean, especially for people that d aren't able to go to many places to be able to come to a festival this large, um, actually the second largest outdoor festival in Minnesota, uh, second only to the Minnesota State Fair to be able to come and actually have that space to go and to first of all not only you know you're living with your autism but now you can see your community and you can be a part of your community and you can celebrate with everyone as well yeah and you know and as we talked about in the podcast before there, there are certain sub-communities within the greater lgbtq community that at times feel uh, what's what's described as, as erasure and i know in the past um, i've heard concerns from people within the ada community um, that, that there has been that feeling of erasure within the community. It's just another way that, that Twin Cities Pride has stepped up and tried to, to make everyone feel welcome and valued at the festival. And that was one thing that we were very grateful for, for having the community conversation, because we would have never known about this had we not had this community conversation, had this individual not stepped forward and made us aware of that, we wouldn't have known that this not only would we not known, but we wouldn't have known how to fix it and what it would have taken to fix it. Some of it was a hard conversation. It, it really was. Um, it's not easy, and these conversations aren't supposed to be easy um, because people have very strong feelings and very hurt feelings, and are feeling, you know, like you said, you know, there's an, there's an eraser feeling on things, and oftentimes it's because others don't know or don't understand. I mean, also speaking of communities that, that feel that sense of erasure within uh, the, the greater LGBTQ community uh, at times. So I know that the bi and the trans uh, community were also afforded a lot more visibility last year. Did you want to just maybe mention? Yeah, we've, um, we actually had our first trans flag last year, which was great. It was so along all of, all of the flags, the, the rainbow flag, the bi flag, um, we now have the trans flag, there's the leather flag. So. And, and this and okay, so people that haven't been to the parade, okay, we should we should probably clarify that these things are huge. I don't. I wish I was Dot right now because she knows the dimensions of these flags. It takes I want to say twenty five to thirty people to carry one of these because they are just huge. They have these huge handles and they are heavy, um, and. It's just, it's amazing to watch from up above, to watch these flags go by and just walk down the street. 
really fills you with, with pride, right? It really does. It, re it really does. And it also reminds people of the subcultures within our community. And, and so there were a lot of good things happening in, in 2017, obviously. It probably felt like the trajectory was, was going really well. Um, and then things happened. Then, then there were some, again, some unexpected circumstances that occurred uh, related to current events that probably most people are familiar with now, but maybe you'd like to kind of explain kind of what else happened in that sort of immediate lead up to, to Pride 2017. Yeah, the, um, the Philando Castile verdict um, and Officer Yanez was found not guilty. Which, which was a national story, but, but it happened here in, in the Twin Cities. Correct. It happened here. It happened right around the corner. Um, it was it was here in Minnesota. It was people here were affected by it personally, um, on a very personal level. I mean, and it wasn't just the queer community at that point. I, it was the greater sort of progressive community. Everyone was was involved in in, in what was happening around then. Exactly. This is not just in, in the queer community. This is um, a nationwide thing that we are addressing at, right now and, can, and continue to, correct. Um, so as an organization, we look to what, what can we do? You know, the year before we had Pulse and now we had another grieving community. Um, so what can we do? It was during this time that, again, since it was so close to Pride, we were kind of trying to hurry up and figure out what's the best way to handle this. You know, what can we do? How can we help? Um, but during this planning, we were told of a comment on Facebook that was or a threat that was made against um, police officers which was very difficult. It's very difficult to hear that. We understand the anger. And as an organization that is trying to bring everybody together, how can we have an event that has 300,000 people when someone threatens to throw a brick at a police officer in the parade? And, and of course, at which point the message on social media or the media, um, whether accurate or not, it was pride bans police from parade, essentially, right? Correct, correct. Um, with all of this happening, you know, we're like, what, what can we do? What can we do? And the thought was, okay, if we have, the idea was if we had one car instead of having all of the police departments. The, the required unmarked police car leading the parade, right? Correct, correct. The city of Minneapolis requires that we have one car, one police car. Um, and it's been tradition throughout the Pride Parade, and I, I know many parades have just a a ton of police cars with their sirens going that are the first thing for the parade. Well, the permit says that we have to have one in order to clear the way. So our thought was, instead of having the lights, the sirens, and everything else, that we would have one car. Um, yeah, I mean, for, for people, again, that, that haven't experienced the parade, traditionally, it's, it's the sirens, the cop cars, and then the motorcycles. <laughs> yes, the motorcycles. You know, it's starting when you hear the roar of the dikes on bikes. Yeah. And that, that sort of generally accepted as the official start of the parade, right? Correct, correct. That, yep. When you hear the dikes on bikes, that is our start of the parade. It's an awesome sound. It's it's yeah. It's it's amazing with all the those all those motorcycles going at the same time. It is loud, but people love it. Um, and so um, so obviously 
there there were some concerns to address with the police and it, we've talked with Dodd and, and other people on the board about how the messaging wasn't necessarily delivered in the most accurate way. Correct and that messaging was not delivered um, in the best way and unfortunately nor did the way we went about it um, run in alignment with our values. Uh, whereas we thought we were helping out one group of people um, we really failed in the fact that we were missing a whole other group of people and, and alienated them, which was not our intent to do at the time. Yeah, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about that because I think this is important. Uh, we talked just a little bit ago about how Twin Cities Pride really does represent not just the one big organization, not, not just the one um, inclusive, all-inclusive queer community, but lots of different groups of people within uh, that community. And, and it, it's hard to make sure that you're meeting everyone's needs um, as, as well as, as they feel uh, you should be. We have so many um, sub-communities within our community. We have, and what Which is another sort of like weird unintended consequence that kind of makes things complicated, but it's a beautiful thing. But it's the world. As I mentioned earlier, we have the largest stakeholders. We have everybody. In the world, there are sub-communities. And all of these sub-communities that we deal with every day, we also have to deal with that pride every day and to try and meet everybody's needs and to try not to offend everybody and to try and be re respectful of everything. Um, you know, and another thing, too, the sort of right within uh, Twin Cities Pride's mission is being that avenue of communication to the broader community. Correct. And that community um, is not only um, our, the rights that we've gotten as, you know, LGBT community, it's, you know, celebrating racial rights. It's celebrating um, also people in their professions. I mean, there was a time when you couldn't be a black police officer. There was a time when you couldn't be, you know, and people being really proud of the fact that they were able to now be out at work. For the police officers, they were proud of that, and they they very well should be. Policies have changed. Um, that's how we get policies changed, is people of color join different um, professions and policies get changed. LGBTQ community, people get involved in different things and policies change. Uh, and that's, you know, we are all people first. We are people before our professions. We are people before anything. And speaking of policy change, so as a result of the decisions that were made last year um, based on the events that happened leading up to Pride, there were some organizations uh, that didn't feel that Pride handled things as well as they could have and made some pretty specific demands about what they wanted to see happen with the organization. There was. Um, the Justice for Jamar actually held a protest last year at the beginning of the parade and they did give us um, later a set of demands that they had for us based on this particular situation not this particular situation but this issue in general and in fact they were uh, they were out in front of the parade um, with the with the protests that people probably heard about um, and they were actually announcing their demands over uh, over a loudspeaker um, to to the crowd and, and there was it was a significant group of people and there was uh, they did a die-in correct they did um, and we respected we knew they were gonna protest we were made aware of this earlier um, we did tell local um, officers that we did not want 
any arrests. We wanted to let them um, have their right to protest. And um, so they did. There was, they came in at, at one point before the parade started and they protested throughout the rest of the parade doing a die-in every, every couple blocks or so and without incident. So I believe that they were able to have their message heard and um, with respect from, uh, from us. And I know Twin Cities Pride, even as we speak right now, is in the process of trying to open uh, a, a broad, consistent avenue of communication uh, with the people involved with that organization. Um, but for people who might not be familiar with this list of demands, maybe you wanted to touch on a few of them that, that you wanted to, to address. Well, for the Twin Cities Justice for Jamar, um, their demands included, um, we demand that Twin Cities Pride honors the legacy and the life of trans women of color and recognize Pride as a byproduct of their resistance of police brutality and repression, which is something that we feel that, that we do. That's an easy one. That, that's, that's an easy one. That is, we understand the history, we understand Stonewall, um, and we respect um, everything that the trans community has done. Um, we also, within our changes in the organization, um, we have a community outreach committee that has funding that we use for organizations. Um, and some of them are, you know, trans-oriented. And that's a semi-new thing that's been brought on somewhat recently. It is, it is. It's just been the last few years where we started slowly um, helping out here with little things and now we actually have um, a separate community outreach committee for for these things. And so like with, with for that demand, um, you know, we, we've talked about already today about how um, there are these perceptions, right, with within sort of the broader community uh, that, that prevent people maybe sometimes from uh, recognizing the actual uh, priorities of, of the organization. And I mean, do you think that, I mean, because you just read that first demand and we were able to sit here and both, I mean, just from how well we are familiar with the organization, we're able to be like, oh yeah, that, that one's easy. Like we obviously um, honor and acknowledge those things. But do, do you think it's those sort of older held kind of misconceptions that, that might be behind a demand like that, that we were able to just be like, oh yeah, we, we care about those things? Yeah, I think it, it is that, that older feeling because I feel that people might not interact as much with our social media. They might not interact as much with our website to know what we do and what we're thinking of doing. When we're trying to plan our events for the year, we look at, you know, what can we do for this community? Um, last year we had um, the trans, Transgender Film Series. It was a, home, a whole film series, I believe it was like three or four weeks. Um, we had movies such as like Free CC, and then we would have a discussion afterwards. Yeah, that, was, that was gender real, it was a, the gender real yeah. film festival. Yep, yeah, that was, that was great. Yeah, it was great, we actually talked to the organizer in one of our episodes. Yep, that was something that, you know, I had watched the um, National Geographic's um, documentary with Katie Couric. And I looked at that and I'm like, can, can we do this? <laughs> And those are the things where our ideas come from. And then we find people to, to um, get together with and make it happen. Because we do respect that. And we do, not only that, but films like, like that documentary, they educate people. 
it, it was really great. It was educating for me, and it was educating for a lot of the people that went there. But again, it's it's difficult sometimes for the organization to to include those voices if if they're not especially aware that those voices are there, that those individuals are are there that want to have those voices heard. And even from you know finding Joe um, at Gender Real, it's sometimes we have to ask around. It's like who's the best person to do this? So it's you know finding those voices that you know we might not know exist as well. I mean, or we know of, we know them, we know of them, we just haven't been able to get in contact with them or seeing how we can partner with them. Like, this was a, this was a great event, you know, it was a great way for us to be able to partner with them. Yeah, you know, and we've, we've talked about, uh, before we started recording here, I think we were talking about how, how that, that's, all, that's another kind of a mixed blessing kind of thing, that, that there are vocal members of the community uh, that, that are willing to engage with Twin Cities Pride, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's at these these town hall sort of community meetings, uh, you know, these discussions um, about these things. Because even though there are those dissenting voices, there, that there are those people that don't necessarily endorse every aspect of of everything that Twin Cities Pride does. Um, yeah, it makes more work for the board, and, you know, obviously to have to address these things, but really it means that the community is engaged and that there are people out there that really, really care about these issues. And at the end of the day, anything that creates that avenue, that forum for conversation is, is really a good thing. Exactly, and that those are the things that we need to do. Um, last year we also partnered with about 25 cities around the world um, to do an equality march, um, which to commemorate uh, Stonewall and to commemorate everything that's happened. So that was a a last-minute thing that uh, we brought up, actually that was brought up to us, and as Twin Cities Pride, um, we brought in speakers. We brought in um, out front to kind of help us also find speakers and find, you know, which included, you know, some Andrea Jenkins, you know, and just some other great people to to speak for the community. Yeah. And I know we've said over and over again, we've reiterated probably till people are sick of hearing it that <laughs> that. So that is why it's so important for community members, individual community members, to, to reach out in, in whatever way they can available to them to, to let us know that they're out there. Correct. And, you know, Twin Cities Pride also, we reach out to organizations. Um, Dress for Success had an event, and I emailed them, and I asked, I said, do you include um, all women? And so Twin Cities Pride is actually where you normally have to go to a government agency to be referred to Dress for Success. Twin Cities Pride um, can refer a transgender woman to Dress for Success as well. So it's a matter of also when you, when you see something, ask. Does that include our community as well? And so like I said, that, that was just one of the demands. There are several more that we probably wanted to touch on as well. Uh, correct. Uh, there's uh, demand that Twin Cities Pride combat state violence with the total elimination of police and law enforcement in their events. Unfortunately, legally, that is that's just not possible. Um, we just can't do that. Why? Why do you think? I mean, just just from at, at some point, I'm kind of an out, outside observer at this point. I'm, I'm not on the board, right? I'm just here to sort of capture the voice of the community. But but I mean, I, I would I would imagine that that the people involved in, in the Justice for Jamar movement would understand that there is some sort of legal obligation for Twin Cities Pride to ensure the safety of everyone attending at some level. What, why do you think, or why do you think that 
that particular demand would be there, um, given, given what we've already talked about? I think that demand is there because, you know, people feel that we can have um, like a civil authority to look out for us at that point, you know, people within our own community to look out for us. Um, and, and that's more what they're looking for and not believing in the system of law enforcement or the system of the police. Um, so with that, they would rather have some of our own or some other people that are trained to, to do this instead of having actual um, law enforcement do it. But like, like we said, Twin Cities Pride is ultimately a nonprofit organization that has a responsibility to follow the law at this point. Correct, we need to follow the law and we need to ensure that um, everyone who is protecting us is, and is a professional and that is their profession and um, we abide by our permits. Without that, we, we wouldn't have our permit. So this would actually be a good time to talk about, before we go on to the others, um, what changes have been made this year in the parade with uh, regard to police presence? Well, Twin Cities Pride hasn't really made any changes to police presence this year. Um, however, Police Chief Arredondo, um, when we did go meet with him, um, the first thing he let off with was that he was not going to have police officers in the parade unless they were in plain clothes. Um, with that, we just said, well, what about your police officers? How are they going to feel about that? And we said, maybe you want to do uh, a t-shirt that we've seen before that has the rainbow flag across it with the shield um, to give those officers the opportunity to let people know that they're officers and to maybe march with a different contingent, um, someone that they know, maybe with fire, maybe with EMT. Um, and so that was, uh, we were actually very surprised to hear that come from him. You know, as soon as we sat down, that was, he said that he had, had um, a couple conversations with some elected officials and decided that right now, um, with the state of the world and the state that things are and the relationship between the police and um, people of color and trans people of color that right now might not be the best time to have them in the parade. Um, however, plain clothes or in the t-shirts, he did think the t-shirts were a good idea, um, they would be able to be in the parade. And of course, there's going to be further discussions about this down the road to kind of find a long-term solution. Correct, correct. Um, Another change that, well, we did make an, a change um, to how we decide on police is the parade will continue to have one unmarked car at the beginning. Um, and if a police department would like to have a contingent in the parade, it will be a paid contingent just like every other contingent. So they will, you know, become a part of that process just like every other process. Now, in other years, just so people also understand, only one car in that whole plethora of cars and officers were actually on duty. Yes, everyone else. I don't think most people would realize that, yeah. That's something that I heard a lot of last year. It's like, why would you want fewer officers? Why would you want, you know, that wasn't the case. That We had exactly the same amount of police working and protecting us last year as we would have without that happening. Um, and we had our one car that we had to have. Everyone else was there because they were proud of their profession, they were proud of who they were, and they wanted to be a part of the parade. Well, now that contingent will move 
and if they want to be um, if they want to be a part of the parade, they will need to purchase a contingent. And and with regard to some other current events, right? There have been some groups that have been prominent um, in the national conversation lately, and there have been concerns uh, within the last let's just say last couple of years. <laughs> Uh, about the forces of white supremacy. And uh, one of the demands that Justice for Jamar made is uh, has to do with Twin Cities pride vocalizing their resistance to those forces. And, and as a matter of fact, I, I have the demand right in front of me here, and it says, we demand TC pride is accountable for the perpetuation of white supremacy and forms a committee to eradicate the normalization of these violent systems. Now, as I interpret this, what this is saying is, is, it, is that they want Twin Cities Pride to take accountability for uh, the perpetuation of white supremacy uh, that they feel is, is prevalent in, in the community. And for various reasons, I would imagine that would be very hard to do. Um, but I, I understand that Twin Cities Pride is going to great lengths now to uh, partner with other organizations uh, and such to ensure that their voice is heard in resistance to these forces. Correct. And at, at Twin Cities Pride, we have our mission and we also recognize that there are you know, other amazing nonprofits, community groups and advocates out there um, who are dedicated and specialize in the various needs and the various issues of our community. And twins, with our outreach program, um, organizations that are holding events can come to us and fill out an application and you know as long as it aligns with our mission we can help and we can be a part of it in that way um, that some of the things are not our specialty but we recognize and completely respect those and admire those um, that have those issues as their dedication and from my perspective, this would seem like it could be rooted in maybe some of those perceptions that we've talked about already um, that may be a result of lack of direct communication with Twin Cities Pride um, about where they stand specifically on some of these, these issues. And I completely agree. I think that is a huge thing that people don't realize that with what we do have, we find areas of need in within our community and we partner with other organizations that specialize in in other areas and partner with them um, either financially or um, any other resource that we are able to do um, including people of color um, the transgender community uh, the bi community and um, and our youth and so there are a few like we said so maybe we keep just rolling down the list here we demand TC Pride provides an exclusive healing space um, at all future events for indigenous and people of color to process, rest, and restore justice. IBPOC will control completely the creation of this space, and TC Pride must honor, lift up, and not disrupt the construction of this space. Okay. This, as you mentioned, people not understanding what we do and sometimes maybe not being at Pride for a while because of the issues that they've had. So for the last 10 years we've actually had a tent um, that TC Pride provides for free um, at the P2P stage and that's used for sometimes it's used for um, smaller groups to be able to um, sell or give out information 
Um, but that is a space that we do provide currently. And, and we were talking again before we started recording here about how you know, some of these misconceptions could be could be rooted in the fact that a lot of people haven't engaged with, with Twin Cities Pride in, in a long time or haven't been to the festival, right? And so in, in one way, it would be easy to blame those people, right, by saying, you know, well, if you just show up, if you just engage, if you would just talk to us, if you communicate and all the ways that we've been saying, you know, maybe these problems wouldn't be there. Um, but we also want to be careful to acknowledge that a lot of those things that maybe drove people away in the first place, like were the responsibility of Twin Cities Pride at, at one time. So I guess, I guess for, from where I'm looking at it from, um, it seems like there are certainly opportunities uh, for growth, both individually and, and to grow together um, on, on the part of both, uh, both sides of this discussion. Oh, correct, correct. Um, just to get the, the word out there and just that this demand was made, um, and I understand that some people might not be comfortable or have not been comfortable for a long time coming to Pride and not knowing that we have um, a space like this or not knowing that, you know, TC Pride does spend about $10,000 a year on this, this tent and this space that is managed by, um, by the director of, of the PW staging area. And we were also talking to a little here before, um, and we've talked before too about how, you know, 100 and 400 something plus episodes now um, I've I've had the privilege I've really had the amazing opportunity to, to go out in the community and talk to people representing every identity that, that you can imagine every intersection of identity that, that you can imagine and and what I've encountered and, and I don't uh, contrary to popular belief with 105 episodes I don't record every single conversation I have <laughs> you would think I do probably but uh, but I don't I've had some really uh, really honest really frank conversations with people and what, what's interesting to me is that is that I run up against that more more often than I think even people involved uh, with Twin Cities Pride would 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 even like maybe realize and there a lot of that a lot of that hurt a lot of that trauma a lot of those opinions are, are really quite hardwired in, in, in into certain parts of the community I mean I'll, I'll sit there and, and talk to people and say um, and say well no from from what I've experienced uh, the board isn't that particular demographic and, and these things that you're saying about the board aren't entirely accurate or about the organization in general aren't entirely accurate and these things have changed and these things are in the process of being changed, um, what have you. And, and I run up against so much resistance from people. I mean, not even like in an aggressive way, but just so much resistance um, in terms of like their inability to, to believe that, that things even could change from where they, from where they understood them to be at, at one point. And, and, that, and that's why I'm saying that these conversations are, are so important because that, that's really the only way that things are they're ever going to change. Um, which, and at the end of the day, having those conversations in, in any way is, is always going to help. Oh, correct. And it's, it's so hard for, for people that have had very bad experiences over and over and over again to even want to give uh, Twin Cities Pride a chance. Or to even think about why would I want to go to Pride? You know, last time I went there, you know, I was treated like this, or I was treated like that, or nobody cared about this. Um, actually, I remember the argument for this stage and the argument for this tent. This, this, I believe, the first year was when I started, when we started this whole thing. And Sorry, you've been around for a minute now. <laughs> this will be my tenth year. Yes, I've been around a little bit. Um, so, and, and for me, it was really interesting, and I understand, that's, okay, so that said. As a person of color. Yeah, as a person of color, and having been around for a minute, 
it's been really interesting for me to see how the culture, how the ideas, how pride itself has changed. Um, that has been amazing. Now, I understand when I first started, if I had been coming for a while and that's all I'd seen, I wouldn't want to come back either. But yeah, so now we're making those changes. And sometimes when I first started on the board, I was that other voice. It was, you know, we, it was kind of a board where everyone had the same opinions on things. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't see it like that. And so, yeah, if, you ha if you've always had a horrible experience, you wouldn't even think of going on the website to find out any communication. You wouldn't even think of going on Facebook. So I've, I've, I've seen a lot of change. And I hope that uh, people understand that, you know, the more you come, the more you see things, you can actually give us an idea on what we can improve from, from here. And, and I'm not a community facilitator uh, in any way. I don't play one on TV. Uh, I've, I've, had, I, I've, I've really had the amazing opportunity to be able to, in a sense, learn at the feet of some of the best um, really around uh, th through, throughout my time uh, being involved with Twin Cities Pride um, and various other organizations here. Um, but I know that a, a lot of times, that, that a lot of times healing from uh, a specific situation can often begin with, with the acknowledgement of, of wrongdoing. Um, and, and I don't know that, I mean, certainly at certain times along the way, we, we've, we've done that in other conversations we've had with, with various people. But I mean, really, I mean, we have this opportunity. I mean, let's just cut to the chase, like right now. In the past, um, maybe even the not so distant past, Twin Cities Pride has, has screwed up, has made mistakes. Um, and, and it's important, I think, for, for the people who feel that they've been harmed by those mistakes to, to hear um, that acknowledgement and that commitment to, to improve in, in the future and to make sure that those people's voices are heard. Um, and I completely agree. Um, I, as I mentioned, when I first started, if that would have been the pride that I knew all the time, it would have been difficult for me, and which is why I continued to volunteer, which is why I um, made nonprofit leadership my minor, which is why I wanted to uh, be more and do more with the organization. That's right. You put that fancy piece of paper on your wall recently, huh? <laughs> yes, I did. I graduated in December. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> but to me, it gave me the opportunity to understand more of what I was doing and what I could do. Um, it gave me the opportunity to learn more about nonprofits and what it took. And so... No, Twin Cities Pride has not always done everything right. Twin Cities Pride has done everything, I believe, the best that they knew how at the time. And that is the evolving of a nonprofit. You know, at one point, at the very beginning, this happened and this started with that small march, you know, down Nicollet Mall for our rights. And many people think that because we have marriage equality that that's it. That is not it. And it, it won't be it. So I think at one point also people got complacent. Things were going fairly well for us. And let's just not you know, ripple the waters. But now um, we are in a point of change and we want to continue to grow. Um, we've grown as a nonprofit. Um, we, where they were once a working board, we're now a governing board. 
And, and what does that mean specifically? That means that where maybe at one point, um, I didn't, but maybe where I was in charge of um, getting all the artists and stuff for entertainment, I may have also been the vice chair on the board, you know, running everything. Um, and all of our board was like that. And most nonprofits start that way because out of need. You start Just a bunch of people getting together that care about a specific Trying to get it done. You know, you're trying to get it done. You believe in something. You're passionate about something. You're trying to get it done. And now um, we have the opportunity to have a governing board. Now what our board does is we look more at our strategic plan, where we want to be in, in five years. Um, whereas at one point we were lucky if we made any money, you know, to, to have a pride next year or how we were going to do a pride next year. You know, now we're looking, trying to look more towards um, a strategic plan. Whereas at one point maybe we didn't even have the opportunity to give back to the community. Um, now we're able to give back to the community. And so the governing board looks at, you know, where we are now, what we want to be, what our policies and procedures should be as we grow, um, you know, hiring people to, to do those jobs. And then the Justice for Jamar organization also had some opinions about the involvement of corporations um, in, in Twin Cities Pride, in, in the festival and within the organization. Oh, definitely. Um, the demand was to divest of all corporations uh, as they promote the marginalization, exploitation, and criminalization of marginalized communities. Uh, that was their demand. Um, Twin Cities Pride works with corporations that align with our mission. Those are the corporations that we work with and the corporations that we allow to be our sponsors. Um, by partnering with these organizations, it allows people in our community to celebrate being able to be their authentic selves at work. And it also kind of gives, it makes it so the, the corporations are kind of liable for how they act. You know, if you want to be a part of Twin Cities Pride, you need to fall within our mission. If you fall with, outside our mission, um, what are you going to do to correct it within your organization? You know, I would, I would be remiss right now if I didn't mention uh, a specific or organization uh, that, that I happen to be involved with, uh, that, that, I'm, that I'm very proud to, to, to be involved with currently, and that's, that's Quorum, uh, which is the LGBTQ uh, plus Chamber of Commerce or business community uh, within the Twin Cities and greater Minnesota area. This is, another, this is another situation where Twin Cities Pride, this isn't maybe your specific mission, right, to promote equality and diversity within the business community. Um, it's certainly as an extension of your, of your overall mission, but there are other organizations that, that specialize in this one specific thing, like Quorum. And Twin Cities Pride, as we discussed, uh, seeks out these organizations that are out doing specific things in the community and supports them in every way they can. Correct. Correct. Um, and I'm obviously biased here because, you know, being involved with Quorum, uh, you know, we do a lot of work. Like, like we, I mean, talk about a working board. Like, <laughs> we're, we all work very hard to, to create those relationships and to reinforce those relationships with, with our partners in the business community um, to ensure that people can bring their authentic selves to work. And uh, in fact, the logo, I don't want to like talk for 20 minutes about Quorum here, <laughs> but in fact, our, our logo um, is, it, it's a Q and it's like a circle that's like incomplete. And what people might not realize is that the, the significance of that, that incomplete circle is that our work is never done, right? So, I mean, we're, we're always out there fighting and working hard to ensure that that space for inclusion and diversity um, exists 
uh, within uh, the corporate, uh, with, within corporations, um, and, and in all areas that people bring themselves to work. That, that is our entire mission, is to build those relationships and reinforce those relationships. So, so while we, we can probably all agree that, there, that there's always work to be done and there's always room for improvement, room for growth, um, you've, you've experienced recently that, that a lot of that work um, is actually being done by some of these corporations themselves. Oh, exactly. And they're trying to grow their diversity and inclusion and make a better workspace for people. Uh, we have companies that call Twin Cities Pride and they ask if they have anyone that would come out and speak on diversity and inclusion panels. And I've done that before. Uh, there might be newer, smaller uh, companies that want to create a great workspace and there might be some that have been around for a while and realize, hey, we need to learn a few more things. Uh, but they're actually reaching out to us and asking for that help. And so I think instead of divesting in these companies, uh, we need to invest in them and uh, help with the education portion. Yeah, and I'm sure people are aware that, that Twin Cities Pride, let me see if I get this right, is that the festival itself is, is the largest free pride or outdoor festival in, in, in the nation, right? I think it, it's, it's one of the biggest of all the festivals, essentially. And the corporations, at the end of the day, have, have a little bit to do with that. Correct. Um, without the corporations, we wouldn't have a festival. Um, we have approximately 300, 450,000 people that come every year, and the corporations are a, are a huge part of that, you know, as far as sponsorship is concerned and, and as far as support. And then I'll read the next one here. It's kind of a two-parter. Uh, number six, actually, is we demand the TC Pride funds and organizes a town hall meeting alongside marginalized groups including but not limited to TC Justice for Jamar, Native Lives Matter, and Justice for Marcus Golden. The second part of that is it's October, um, and this was written some time ago, um, and TC Pride has failed to reach out to us. Uh, we angrily request that TC Pride contact us uh, within the next two months. Now, it's my understanding, and I might be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, that there have been efforts, uh, at least to some extent, on TC Pride's part to reach out to these groups and create those avenues of communication. Correct, and after seeing this, um, the difficult part was finding the person that we needed to talk to, um, because you know, as a group, there wasn't didn't seem to be necessarily an, an organi um, organized leader, or we weren't quite sure who to get a hold of. Um, so once we saw this, we did get a hold um, of them on Facebook. Yeah, which, which, in all fairness, is is kind of often the case with kind of small organizations, right? Correct, correct. I mean, it, it can happen. But um, after seeing this, we did get in touch with them, and then we were told to wait until after the holidays because everything was kind of busy. So, And you have, uh, it sounds like you have at least uh, made some contact with them at this point, and like I said, are, are in the process of creating that sort of consistent avenue of communication. Correct. Um, once we were able to get our responses to the demands all set and create a plan, we did reach out again um, to attempt to set up a meeting. And um, after a little bit of back and forth, um, we're denied that, that meeting. Um, we were told that um, the Justice for Jamar, since it was going to be a small meeting, um, that they didn't feel comfortable advocating for a large group when when there were so many people that um, were involved. 
And so unfortunately, even given that effort uh, um, on the part of Twin Cities Pride, that, that kind of leaves the organization in a challenging situation. It does because, I mean, and it wasn't just getting a hold of them. It was also, so in, in order to have what we felt was a true conversation in, you know, trying to bring all of these groups together, um, we also needed to get a hold of the Minneapolis Police Department. Well, unfortunately, we had the Super Bowl. And from the time kind of we were possibly ready to start thinking about having these town halls. Everybody was thinking Super Bowl. <laughs> yep, everyone was thinking, including them, as they were preparing for the Super Bowl. And then we received this, and then, you know, they were busy. Um, the Justice for Jamar folks were, were busy with whatever they were busy with. So the timing wasn't the greatest. So we weren't able to really focus on that, um, you know, unfortunately. And yeah, so right now we are kind of left in, in a spot of, you know. With, with, with the festival as we sit here uh, a couple of weeks away. Yeah. Exactly. We did have a, um, we did have a, a community conversation in March. And Justice for Jamar was invited and did decline. So that was part of the conversation that we were trying to have um, in order to have all parties. Um, we were, as Twin Cities Pride, trying to be kind of that conduit. You know, there's all these other organizations. There's uh, Justice for Jamar. There's, you know, Stonewall, DFL. There's the um police officers themselves, um, there's Native Lives Matter, there's you know all of these other groups and to have to side with just one group or one side of a group to create um, a town hall seemed one-sided. It would to push something on one side. We really wanted to have a an actual conversation. And, and we should mention that, that Stonewall DFL was fairly well represented um, and, and we did thank them uh, they were actually on, on the podcast, uh, on the episode that we did about that conversation. Um, and and we, we expressed our, our thanks to them for, for coming up to, to make their voices heard. Um, I understand that there are still concerns uh, on their part uh, regarding some of the decisions that maybe Twin Cities Pride has made in the last year or two. Um, how are things right now be between Twin Cities Pride and the Stonewall DFL? Uh, we actually have a meeting set up for tomorrow with... Um Stonewall DFL um, folks and with us to, you know, to communicate what the responses to their to their demands are. And, and they expressed a couple of the concerns um, in that episode. I encourage people to go on back and listen to the whole thing for for better context. Um, but but it sounds like the avenues of communication are, are open uh, with with that organization. Correct, correct, they are. And so, like I said, you know, I'm not a member of the board. Um, I'm out here just trying to capture the voices of the community. Um, and what's interesting about number seven, uh, in fact, I'll read it. So it says, we demand that TC Pride provide racial reparations via redistribution of resources and monetary compensation to grassroots organizations of the coalition's choice. Um, there is no pride without liberation for us all. And I guess from my perspective um, just from what I understand about everything that's going on which honestly isn't everything um, but as we've been even talking about today Twin Cities Pride does I mean do some of this already I mean to, to a certain degree um, maybe not to the degree that, that Justice for Jamar is demanding it be done um, but 
again, this is one of those things where people might not be aware of the ways that Twin Cities Pride does invest uh, in other parts of the community. And that's correct. Um, and we are a we are a nonprofit, and supporting our community is an important part of who we are um, as an organization. Um, our budget is not that big, um, and so the financial support to the groups and advocates who share our mission, you know, and bringing our our community together, is something that's very important to us. And then we've touched on the community outreach committee already, but but maybe you wanted to to reinforce that a little bit. Correct, and that goes back to, you know, Twin Cities Pride. We do give back to the community um, with what we have. We have a budget of approximately thirty-six thousand dollars that we go through and and help uh, the community with with different events that can help raise money, help them raise money, and to help further their issues. Let me ask you, who who decides where that money goes ultimately? We actually have a committee. There is a community outreach committee that meets. Uh, we have an application process. Um, there's an application that goes through. Uh, once in a while, they'll ask for additional information um, to know what the mission is of the organization, to know who you know, we would be helping. And it's that committee's job to go through those and you know, decide what to, what to have. Some of the outreach um, money has gone to the Rainbow Health Initiative's um, Opportunity Conference. Uh, that helps uh, medical providers and policymakers, you know, with educating them on, you know, transgender care. Which, which we were there this year on location. It was, it was amazing. I encourage people to go back and check, check that episode out. Um, also, something people will not realize, uh, RHI is now partnered with Minnesota AIDS Project. They're called Just Us. I call them like this, this new and improved super org. They're, they're pretty awesome. It's just Us Health. Oh, Just Us Health. Yeah, yeah. My bad on saying Rainbow Health on the issue, but yeah, it's Just Us Health. Yeah, I mean, it was for so long, but now it's now it's Just Us Health, right? Um, they're, they're great. Op- yeah, if, if you're looking to get involved with, with an organization, I would definitely uh, encourage you to check them out. Right, and this is another, you know, another demand, too, where we look at the fact that we respect and admire all of the different organizations within our community. And are, we want to be a part of it, and a lot of, what they're, a lot of the work they do does meet our mission, and we want to be a part of that. Um, it's just a matter of you know, using our, our resources to do so. And, and that was the end of theirs. But like we mentioned, Stonewall DFL did have some specific demands as well. Correct, correct. They did. Um, after the um, community conversations that we had, um, we did speak with Stonewall DFL, and they did state that um, they were going to have some expectations of us. Uh, at that point, I did ask, you know, that we kind of have, you know, let me know what your hard expectations are. Let me know what it is that exactly that you're asking for. Um, so at this point, they had... One of them was Twin Cities Pride convenes a community conversation on this topic that does not include police before this year's Twin Cities Pride Festival. The space for this convening should be community friendly, including all gender restrooms and a room set up that reflects the inclusive posture instead of the projecting of power. Which, part of that I understand because it was a stage type um, setup. So That one sounds pretty reasonable. Yeah. It, it, it does, however. Um, we will be meeting, so our reply to that one is, at this point, it's so close to Pride. There is no way that we could you know, do another town hall type meeting. Um, 
in order to share our response. Um, but Twin Cities Pride will hold a meeting in a neutral location uh, with three Stonewall DFL leaders and then um, three Twin Cities Pride leaders um, and Roxanne Anderson facilitating that. And it will be um, held in a neutral space with the gender neutral bathrooms. And, and this is the conversation that you were talking about that that's actually gonna happen tomorrow. Correct, correct, yep, yep. We're getting close to Pride. So we are, we're counting down the final, final ramp up. Uh, because with, with these um, expectations that Stonewall DFL had, there's, they're trying to decide what their place in Twin Cities Pride is going to be. Maybe we should explain to people that outside of the bubble, right? I mean, we know all the, all the acronyms and who is who and, and everything, right? Um, so Stonewall DFL, so within, uh, within different political parties, there are often caucuses, right? So there's like the... Uh, the African American Caucus and the Asian American Caucus, the Latino American Caucus, right? So they are they are essentially the LGBTQ caucus within the DFL, essentially, right? Correct, correct. That that is what they do. And and they work to get um, people who support LGBTQ rights elected and and to support them. Right, and to bring forward what the needs are of the LGBTQ community, uh, to let the officials know um, what those needs are. So the second one of their demands is Twin Cities Pride disallows uniform police participation in the Pride Parade in any way other than the minimum requirements for on-duty officers uh, needed for public safety, traffic management, and the conditions of any applicable permits. Now, we've already kind of talked about this one uh, a little bit kind of at the beginning. Um, and this is already kind of happening other than the Twin Cities Pride disallowing part. We've talked about how the chief uh, of police in Minneapolis has sort of made that decision um, while a more permanent solution uh, is discussed. Correct, and the chief has made that decision not to have uniformed officers. He um, also actually took out um, bike cops for kids because he doesn't feel at this time that um, having uniformed officers are the thing to have. I think thing to do right now, which was was his choice. And if he had bike cops for kids, he wanted them to be in uniform, so that was his choice. Um, now, Twin Cities Pride disallowing uniform police that doesn't fall within our mission. Um, you know, we will allow each contingent to you know dress as they feel they will be dressed. Um, that goes back to also the fact that the contingent will be a paid contingent if at any point in the future the chief decides that they want to have a contingent in the parade. Um, how they dress will ultimately be up to them. Twin Cities Prize does agree to request soft uniforms. Um, we, we agreed to make that request to them, um, but we would not disallow them from participating uh, if they were wearing uniforms. And soft uniforms are the t-shirts, polo shirts, that kind of thing. Yeah, t-shirts, polo shirts, um, sometimes the cargo pants, that kind of thing. And what I also feels probably important to, to mention to people is that, you know, within the, the police community, I guess for, for lack of a better uh, way, way to describe it, th there are um, groups of um, police officers who identify as LGBTQ um, and who organize within the the police community um, in I guess what would be considered in, in like the corporate world um, as like business resource groups or, or uh, workplace alliance groups the the groups that that quorum um, generally engages with uh, of, of individuals working to promote diversity and inclusion within whatever organization they belong to and certainly within the police community there are those organizations and as a part of the LGBTQ community 
Um, Twin Cities Pride also, I mean, wants to express their support for those groups of people working for diversity and inclusion within the, the police community. I mean, it's 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 a it's an interesting situation that Twin Cities Pride kind of ends up in. But at the end of the day, that that is something that that Twin Cities Pride wants to support uh, is is people working within their professions to support diversity and inclusion. Correct. We we are all we're all people first. Um, Twin Cities Pride Parade. It, it's a safe space for um, all community members, um, and it gives them an opportunity to, you know, present themselves and show their pride for their representation of their. Um, community, of their religion, of their profession, of the organization they work for, um, and of their talent. And that's that's the kind of space that we want to have. And then we have talked about the single MPD squad car that is required to conduct the parade, to, to kick things off. Um, Stonewall DFL demanded the lights and sirens uh, not be used. Now, you've been out there in the media giving several interviews, uh, different media outlets, um, and you've You've, you've talked about um, the reasons for, for that and what, what people maybe within the broader LGBTQ community even um, may not have a full understanding of, but certainly within the broader sort of community, the Twin Cities community, Minnesota community might not realize is that, that oftentimes things like lights, sirens, even uniforms um, can, can be, I guess, what are considered triggers for, for people who have experienced trauma at the hands of certain organizations. Correct, and for that reason, um, we have agreed to, you know, only what's required by law. Um, and the lights and sirens are not required by law. The lights and sirens are not required by law. Um, so, and I believe last year that they did not have lights and sirens either. Um, and we want people to feel comfortable. So now at the beginning of the Twin Cities Pride Parade, you will hear the roar of the dykes on bikes. The motorcycles will still be there. And the motorcycles will still be there. I think you'd get a lot of angry phone calls if the motorcycles weren't there, personally. <laughs> oh, I know we would. <laughs> yeah, those are always the crowd favorite. Um, and so then the next one is Twin Cities Pride insists that additional law enforcement presence is not welcome to join the required single MPD squad car at the front of the parade. And, and we've talked about how there was actually a pretty unique um, uh, compromise made here. Correct. Um, at this point, we decided that the new normal for Twin Cities Pride will be to have the one arm unmarked police car um, that needs to clear the clear the way, and that is how we will do it going forward. And part of and part of that new compromise specifically is that uh, Twin Cities Pride adopt policy that any law enforcement entity, including police, fire, EMT, must purchase a contingent in the parade in order to be in the parade. Um, and, well, that they are not in uniform when doing so. Most of that has happened this year. Correct. Um, that goes back to, like we had just mentioned, yes, they will have to purchase a contingent in the parade, and we also um, had decided that that contingent will not be the first contingent in the parade, no matter what. Um, they will be somewhere else within the parade. Um, as far as the uniforms are concerned, it is up to each contingent what the people in their contingent wear. Um, so and that will continue to be and also at, at the actual festival itself which is number six um stonewall dfl is insisting that on-duty police officers working at the festival wear those soft uniforms we talked about our t-shirts and uh polo shirts that kind of thing uh yeah in this case on-duty soft uniforms would be like the polo shirts and the um, cargo pants uh, that was one that um 
we decided that on-duty police officers will wear regular uniforms and f the following reasons are that uh, police officers should be easily identifiable to anyone that needs them. In case there's emergency, they need to be easily identifiable. The other portion is a soft uniform is often easy to replicate. Also, if anything, in the event that anything does happen, we want the officers to be easily identifiable. If something does go wrong and someone and there is an officer that does um, conduct himself inappropriately, we want to make sure that that officer is easy to identifiable and is in um, a regular uniform. Yeah, so this, this one sounds like it was kind of tricky to come to a compromise that met all of the requirements that Twin Cities Pride is required to meet. Uh, correct, and some of that goes back to our organizational responsibility of making sure that everybody is safe. Um, and it's, I think it's difficult too because it, when you don't live in a marginalized group and when you don't live in um, or understand the impact that the hard uniforms can have on people, it, it's difficult to understand why, why we would decide to not have soft uniforms. I understand um, why people want soft uniforms. I understand that that is a trigger, but also as an organization, we need to make sure that the officers are easily identifiable to the many, many, many people that we are responsible for. Um, and to also ensure that the officers are you know, behaving correctly in, in any incident that, that would happen. And, and you also mentioned something that I didn't know in the parade, that in the past, most of the police <laughs> in the parade uh, weren't actually on duty. The, the police cars and the, the uniforms, the whole thing, weren't actually on, uh, on duty. Um, and so actually number seven here kind of talks about that. It says Twin Cities Pride makes it clear that law enforcement officers are welcome. Again, Twin Cities Pride isn't banning anyone from the parade, right? Uh, or the festival. Uh, that law enforcement officers are welcome to participate off duty or in a personal capacity in the parade and festival, um, and that they should not wear the uniforms uh, when doing so. Now, this probably falls more uh, into the realm of their policy, right? Of, of them educating their officers on, on these particular requirements um, as, as far as when and where they shouldn't be wearing uh, their, their uniforms. Correct. Um Police officers are, you know, allowed to be in the in the parade. However, whether they can or can't wear their uniform, as we saw from Police Chief Arredondo's decision, is up to the chief or the department. That is not our call on what they um, what they can make. Um, as far as the demand is concerned, um, we, you know, we are an inclusive organization, and what someone wears is up to the leaders of the contingent and the organization that they represent. And, and so th those are the demands from Justice for Jamar and the Stonewall DFL, which are really the two organizations that have arisen as, as the most vocal um, about, let's just say, opportunities for growth uh, that, that Twin Cities Pride might, might have regarding some of the decisions they made over the last couple of years. But in general, Twin Cities Pride is, is always working. We've talked this whole time about how they're always working to, to improve in any way they can and to be inclusive of all of the, the various voices of the many, many uh, intersections of identity and communities that, that Twin Cities uh, Pride 
at the end of the day rep represents, and, and they're always working uh, in that direction. Correct. The mission of Twin Cities Pride centers around inclusiveness. Uh, we work to create events where everyone has a sense of belonging. We understand that does not mean we're, we're always going to agree because we're not always going to agree. Um, but, you know, it is our hope that we can all respect our differences and ensure everyone uh, a welcoming and safe uh, pride. And then so, so we've talked about all the specifics and addressed all of the concerns. Um, aside from all of the specific uh, demands and specific ways that Twin Cities Pride is working to maybe correct some of uh, the missteps in the past. What, what would Twin Cities Pride, as an organization, and and as chair of the board, I mean, <laughs> right? This is kind of this this is you know this is within your realm. Um, what what would Twin Cities Pride, as an organization, like to say to um, I guess the broader LGBTQ community about everything ha that that has been happening over the last couple of years? Um, because you know what's interesting too on, on Facebook. There, there are voices that uh, that are saying, I mean, right out that that Twin Cities Pride doesn't represent me, right? They, they're voices within the queer community. I mean, anybody, it, it's all. I mean, anybody that's gone on Facebook and seen the comments, right? There are voices out there that are saying um, Twin Cities Pride uh, doesn't represent me, or they re they represent these people more than they re represent these people. Um, at the end of the day, Twin Cities Pride has put themselves in, in a situation where. Uh, they are the prominent voice. Twin Cities Pride is uh, the umbrella organization, sort of either officially or unofficially, for all of these other smaller organizations. Um, and so you really are acting as, as the voice of the LGBT. When the, when the media calls, they call Twin Cities Pride, right? I mean, it's, it, you are the voice of, of, of the LGBTQ community. Um, from that perspective, um, all of these specific demands and and opportunities for growth aside, what, what would Twin Cities Pride like to say to the greater LGBTQ community right now? When it, when it comes back to it, you know, our, our fallback is our mission. And we work really hard to, for, to complete our mission. And what I would like to say to anyone who is unsure of what we're doing it or why we're doing it or how we're doing things is to become involved. You know, please, you know, feel free, find a committee, um, volunteer at the festival and see how things work. Um, volunteer on a committee and see how things work throughout the year. Um, and send us an email. Um, feedback, we have done some of the best um, changes from feedback and some of it is right after Pride. It, so that's what I would like everybody to know is that if you feel that we do not represent you let us know if you feel we don't do not represent you um, get involved get involved and so that that's the official statement from Twin Cities Pride from from the chair uh, what, what would Darcy Bauman uh, like like to say to, to the community um, as you said being involved in the community for a long time uh, being involved with the organization for for a long time, what what would you like people to know um, about you? Maybe take maybe take your chair or the board hat off for just a second, and just really talk to uh, the people that will be listening to this, to the broader uh, Twin Cities and Greater Minnesota LGBT community. Um, what what would you like them to hear directly from you? This this is your opportunity <laughs> right now to to talk directly to them. 
Wow. As myself, um, let's see. I grew up in a small town. Um, and as one of my friends um, said a couple of years at Pride, I was the diversity in our school. And I would just like everyone to know and to understand that Pride means a lot to a lot of people. And how it's shaped and structured um, depends on, on those that get involved and make it what, what they want to see. And that's, that's what I've done. And you sitting here right now talking to me is kind of evidence of that, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, like like you said, um, I never thought that I would be doing this ever, but I enjoy it. So. And here you are, and we're all we're all thrilled to have you here. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're happy to have me here. I hope you're still happy to have me here after Pride. No, and you know just. You know, if you see somebody, say hi. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into this. And, you know, that's all I can say over and over again is get involved. Um, there is one thing that I will say. Um, when everything happened in 2017, and I monitored our Facebook page, and when I monitored it again last year, those were the one times that I actually saw everybody. Mind you, they weren't happy with Twin Cities Pride. But they were conversing. There were people from every side conversing. And they were actually people listening to each other, listening to what they had to say and the differences within themselves. And hopefully we can have that in person at some point. Um, but it's, it, even though it was against us, it was really nice to see that people were listening to other people's point of view, seeing other people's point of view. Absolutely. You know, and, and the other thing that I'd like to just share, too, is that I think I think the the fact that that, that the board is there and it's funny that the word is board. Right. Because it's like it's 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 not a wall. Right. I mean, it's it's not right. It's, it's not a wall made of boards. It's 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 real people like like I mean, just this is just me now, I guess, talking talking to, to this this community that, that I've been so fortunate uh, to be able to to be able to commemorate the voices of over the last number of years here. Is that like all of the people that that I've uh, engaged with, that I've communicated, that I've become friends with, that I've gotten to know um, in Twin Cities, in Twin Cities Pride, in the organization, are all amazing people. Are all just genuine amazing people who really care about this. So I know it's about all of these things, and I know it's really easy a lot of times um, to to be able to direct your anger at at a board, right, or at a, at an organization. Um, like like writing an angry letter to to a company or something, right? But I mean, just just from my experience, for what it's worth, um, there are real people um, behind this board who read these comments on Facebook and and who get these emails and who are working every day to to make things better. I mean, even volunteering, right? This whole volunteer full time staff thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And and I guess just for what it's worth. Uh, my saying that, I, I, I would just hope that people would remember that, that, that it is real people who really care um, about these issues. And nobody's perfect. I mean, you know, me included. I mean, no, nobody's perfect. But um, I'm going to shout out uh, my organization again, Quorum, Rebecca, uh, you know, Re Rebecca Wagner. She, she's the executive director of Quorum. You know, she says that, that, that we grow at the edges. Um, 
and and you know all of these experiences are opportunities to grow and to become closer as as a community and that that would be my hope is that people recognize the humanity behind behind that that board and um and really challenge themselves to to engage with with you all and really make positive things happen and and exactly and i think it's i think it's really funny um as you mentioned when people are saying that they don't believe you have a hard time getting people to believe who's on the board now <clears throat> And then sometimes when I tell people that I used to, that I'm the board chair, and they kind of look at me funny, because they recognize me when I used to bartend for the local gay bar when it was Lucy's. You know, they recognize me from that. They recognize me from all the different identities that I've had myself. You know, and um, so it's it. That's just it. Is we all have our own journeys. Um, we all have our own places in life, and and we're all a community. Um, we have so many intersections that it's hard to keep up. And one thing that I said to someone, and someone was angry on Facebook one day because someone outside of our community made a comment that, that angered them. And I said back, I said, just please remember not everybody is part of our community. And if we have a little more... If we have a little more confidence, if we have a little more compassion, if we have a little more patience with people and use those times to maybe educate people instead of lash back, people will understand our community better. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for, for your time today. Um, I think those are really important stuff to talk about. Um, so, so thank you for taking the time to talk about it. Um, and, and talk directly to, to the community about a lot of these things that, that I think a lot of people have had questions about. So um, thank you again, Darcy. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you at Pride, running in 27 different directions at any given time. Exactly. Thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. The TC Pride Podcast is a production of Podletter Media and Twin Cities Pride. Subscribe now on iTunes, on Android, or by email at tcpridepodcast.org. Get above the noise by raising your voice. Podletter Media turns your email newsletter, blog, or video content into a more powerful, more personal, more intimate, on-demand listening experience. Your podcast. Your story. Your voice. Simplified. Amplified. Learn more now at podletter.com.